You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. I'm not sure I'm ready for Pastor Keith, so that that caught me off guard there. Um, Aren't you celebrating spring in Iowa? 14,000 steps yesterday. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be 50 this coming weekend. Jason, feeling the love? Not feeling the love. Still got your beanie on. Still cold, right? All right. When you live in California, it's just life. So we're in a series titled The Real Jesus, Studying the Gospel of Luke, and I hope you've been enjoying it as much as we have. Uh, a number of years ago, I had the privilege to pastor in Roanoke, Virginia, and that's Southwest Virginia. One of the things I deeply appreciated about being in that context is that these folks really love the outdoors. Not to say that I didn't, but I grew up in the city, and kind of city life's different than mountain life. And these folks, everyone seemed to be sportsmen, right? Loving to hunt, loving to fish. So I'll never, ever forget my first fishing expedition with the boys. These are senior men, mostly retired. We left Roanoke for Bristol, drove about an hour, and uh, we were just going to spend the day hitting the mountain-fed streams of Bristol, Virginia, fishing for trout. So about a dozen of us get out of our vehicles, and it's time to suit up. I didn't know about suiting up. Guys are putting on waders, vests, fishing caps with stuff on them, nets, tackle boxes, bait, every possible paraphernalia for fishing these boys had except the novice, Keith Missile. I came with a Kmart special, Zebco 33 rod and reel. I was armed for battle. And I'm telling you something, guys, I had no idea what was going on. I was kind of embarrassed, but these men were so gracious. They had extra waders suited up. I got a vest. I got a hat. I got a net. We went after it. Fast forward six hours later, caught some beautiful brown trout and rainbow trout. Never forget that experience. How fun. I've entitled this morning's message, and if you have your Connect card, look at it. The Essential Qualities of Fruitful Ministry. However, I could have entitled this morning's talk, Essential Qualities of Fruitful Fishing. Why do I say that? Because Jesus likens kingdom ministry to fishing for people. We're going to see that in Luke chapter 5. So, when you think of the art of fishing, there's essential qualities and characteristics of a fisherman if you really want to catch fish, and we did. Now, about ministry, kingdom ministry. If you want to catch people, fishing for people, there also are essential qualities, and that's what we're going to look at. And so, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 4, We're going to study chapter 5, 1 through 11, but what I want to do for the next five minutes is just bridge the gap between 4 and 5 and between Nazareth and Galilee. 
So turn in your Bibles, if you would, there. And let me take you visually, if I may, to Galilee. I thought this might be the best way to bridge the gap from southern Galilee, Galilee, which is Nazareth, where Jesus did ministry in a synagogue. They didn't welcome him. They didn't embrace him. In fact, they wanted to kill him. These are his townspeople. <laughs> Rough deal. Now he's up in Galilee. Let me show you a picture here on the screen. This is um, Galilee maybe, from Mount Arbel. A few weeks ago, I introduced Mount Arbel, which looks over the northern part of Galilee. This is one of Jesus' sacred spaces. He retreated constantly to high places, to mountains, for a time of prayer and solitude. And of course, the beautiful lesson for all of us is, yes, it's wonderful to work, it's wonderful to pour yourself out in ministry, but there's time to retreat, time to get away, time to rest and relax. So this is our bell looking northern part of Galilee. Now, the northern part of Galilee, kind of the western shore, is what's called the Evangelical Triangle. That's a title we've given it. There's three cities, towns, if you would, about 15,000 people each, historians uh, understand. And so it starts with the far eastern city called Bethsaida. You might be familiar with Bethsaida. Bethsaida is where uh, Peter and Andrew were initially called in John 1. It's where they were born, grew up. Bethsaida is a fishing village. He called fishermen in John chapter 1. Move over a little bit west, we get to a city, part of the evangelical triangle, called Chorazin. Chorazin, you may be familiar, got rebuked by Jesus. Why? He did a lot of miracles. He did some phenomenal things there, and people still chose not to believe. Let me encourage you here this morning. If you've sat under the teaching of the word of God, if you've heard the gospel time and time again, there comes a point in time like Chorazin where Christ looks and says, how come your heart's so hard, your ears are so closed, you're not responding to the good news? He rebuked Chorazin because he gave them so much and they wouldn't open their hearts. Hard-heartedness is a very serious thing in scripture. So we start with Bethsaida, Corzine. Now we move to a place called Capernaum. Capernaum is very important in Scripture. This is the base of Peter. This is where Jesus landed his public ministry and served from. Peter, we understand archaeologically, had his home here. And we're going to see a little bit about that in a minute. Now, if you have your Bibles, look to Luke 4, 31 through 32. Notice this. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. He was teaching them again on the Sabbath, assuming in the synagogue. Notice this next phrase, folks. It's beautiful. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. Now, please know this about Jesus. He was a giver. He was not a taker. The Son of Man came to serve. He poured out his life a ransom for many. We know he was a giver, right? He loved people. He cared for people. Next week, we're going to see him engage a leper. Literally reach out and touch a leper, which was unlawful. So he was a giver. He healed. He blessed. He loved. He cared for. We're going to see today he became a friend of sinner. But know this, the primary ministry of Jesus Christ was always preaching and teaching. Always. 
He came to preach and to teach. And so when you hear churches saying, hey, let's shrink the sermon a little bit more. Let's go from 35 to 28 minutes. Let's go from 28 to 18. And some of the data now that we're getting is we have sermons 12 to 15 minutes across our country in America celebrating that we can't hold God's people's attention because the word isn't strong enough. You know what I say to that? Not at Westwind. In fact, we're going to go a little longer today. Just kidding, just kidding. But I started at 10.05 and marked that. So here's the deal. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And regardless of what you think of preachers, think this. You have four accounts of Christ's teaching. And like they did in the synagogue, we should be astonished at his teaching. When we open this book, and we see the teachings of Christ. We stand in awe. I have a uh, gal that I'm privileged to connect with periodically in the community. One of the gals I've been praying for, reaching out to. She does my hair. And so, got a haircut yesterday, yeah? yeah. Huh? Looking as good as Caleb? Or better? <laughs> so, um, we always get to just share about Jesus. And talk a little bit more. And I see the aha moments happening. And she says, you know, I'm reading Matthew right now. I said, how wonderful. What are you learning? What is God teaching you? Standing in awe of Jesus' teaching. We should be astonished, folks, just like they were. So remember that, yeah, Christ isn't preaching, and certainly I'm not him, but we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have his words. And we stand in awe. Now, let's go back to Capernaum. Again, I'm trying to connect the dots from Nazareth to Galilee and in Capernaum. Here's a few up-close pictures of Capernaum. And by the way, if you ever get to Israel, let me encourage you to go. This is Capernaum from the north looking south. It is majestic. It's sitting right on the Sea of Galilee. Let me show you a picture of a discovery Archaeologists found a 4th century synagogue in Capernaum. You want to know what religious life was like, go to Capernaum, you'll see it. But better than that, look at this next photo. This is a 1st century synagogue that the 4th century was built upon. See the dark layer there? That's called basalt, it's volcanic. That was the original foundation of the very synagogue Jesus taught at in Luke chapter 4. He's in Capernaum. He's in the synagogue. This is the place. We know that absolutely without question. This isn't fanciful. Now, if you have Luke 4, what takes place there? In verses 31 through 37, Jesus preaches. And just imagine this. In that synagogue, Sabbath space, he casts out demons. That'd be kind of an exciting worship service. Would you agree? Yeah, no. Ever happened here in 11 years? Maybe should. No, just I'll leave that there. Now, finally, let me show you an aerial view of Capernaum. And this is really cool, folks. And this isn't fanciful. This is historical. This is scholarly. This is archaeological. We have an aerial view of Capernaum. We see the synagogue. Guess what's to the right, right on the store? That's Peter's house. Scholars, historians, archaeologists say that is the place where he lived. I can't go into all the details, but this is it. So, back to Luke 4, verses 38 and 39, guess what? He comes out of the synagogue, preaching, they're astonished. Casting out demons, there's great ministry. 
God's kingdom is coming. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Who walks over from the synagogue to the house? And you could walk there in two minutes. And he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And so now there's a radical contrast from Nazareth to Galilee. What's the contrast? Nazareth rejects. Galilee embraces. People are flocking to Jesus. The kingdom of God is coming. Healing, teaching is being embraced. People are standing in awe of the Lord. And then when we come to Luke 5, now you got the, uh, the bridge from Nazareth to Galilee, we see flocks of people around the Sea of Galilee. We go from formal worship space synagogue to a home of healing. Now we're at the seashore. And boy, there's nine villages around the seashore, 15,000 average per village, a lot of people, and they're flocking to hear about the kingdom of God. So let's stand. We are going to read this passage aloud together, and I uh, hope you're comfortable doing that. It's a beautiful passage, a lot to learn, so let's take a look. Let's read together. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats on the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from land. Then he sat down, was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water, let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long, caught nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. That, yeah. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled the boats so full that they began to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's son, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Great, thank you. So, if you have your Connect card, here's the blessing. Let's dive in. Each one of us can experience fruitful ministry or fruitful fishing by emulating the spiritual qualities of Peter. We see in this passage that we go from big, a lot of people following, a lot of ministry, all of a sudden to laser. Jesus focuses in on an individual Peter. Why? To teach all of us of great spiritual truths. So three qualities this morning. Number one, a teachable and submissive heart. And folks, please don't take this lightly. This is just foundational to who we are in Christ. Look again at Luke uh, 5, verse 3 through 5. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and this is in the imperative mode, put out into the deep water, let down your nets for a catch. How does Simon respond? And we're not going to read too much into this, folks, but it's very easy to know what's going on in Simon's heart. He says, Master, I believe he's exasperated. We've worked hard all night long, and notice this, caught nothing. 
So, for a moment, you have to pause and try to put yourselves in Simon Peter's shoes. What is going on? What is he feeling? Well, here's a few things I suggest. He's thinking this. How frustrating. Doesn't Jesus know we worked all night and caught nothing, meaning we didn't make a penny? Our whole business fell flat tonight. Please hear me. These guys were incorporated. They had boats. They had a partnership. They needed a catch, just like anybody who goes to work needs a paycheck. They're frustrated. Secondly, they fished all night. This is third shift. How many of you folks are privileged to work third shift? Just one. That's a tough ride, right? Never had that privilege and don't want to. They're out all night. They come home, they're tired, hungry, worn out. And you know what? I need a nap. And yet he wants my boats and he's teaching. They're already frustrated. When you work all night, what do you want to do? You want to go home, right? You want to snuggle with your wife. You want to maybe get a snack, go to bed. They sat under his teaching. Now get back fishing. You got to put it into context. And by the way, Jesus, Peter's thinking, Everybody in Galilee knows it's ludicrous to fish during the day. Fishing in Galilee is done at night. Let me show you a few things on the screen. 1986, we discovered what's called the Jesus Boat. And so two fishermen, the Sea of Galilee, receded. They dug this thing up. It's really remarkable. They extracted it, built a museum around it. You can go and see this thing. Um, this was built in the first century. Let me show you a reconstruction of the Jesus, built, Jesus boat. That's what it looked like. So this is a real boat, real fishermen doing their work, and they are the professionals. Now let me show you another thing that's really important. This is what's called trammel nets. Today, 21st century world, this is the only net that is allowed on the Sea of Galilee. This is what Jesus fished with in the ancient world. This is what these fishermen cast out. I can't go into all the details, but there's three layers of it. They go through one, they go through another, get all tangled up, boom. They fished all night, caught nothing. Why do you fish at night with a trammel net? Because during the day, you will see the net, and the fish will avoid it. At night, you can't see the net. So it's imperative that you fish at night, not during the day. So when Jesus says, hey, let's go fishing during the day, they're all thinking, you're crazy. There's no value. There's no wisdom. Nobody fishes during the day because the fish will see the nets. So I think Peter's struggling. Why? Because he has superior knowledge of this lake. He has lived there and fished there all his life. There's a little bit of pride going on. You're a teacher. You're a preacher. Why don't you stick to teaching and preaching and let us do the fishing? That's what's going on. I think this would be like me trying to instruct Jim Plaguey on how to run a bank, or T.D. Krug on how to do landscaping, or Dr. Mark Wywood on how to administer anesthesiology. You don't want that to happen. They're the professionals, just like Peter was, and yet the preacher, teacher, the rabbi, is telling the professional how to get the job done. So I think this. Peter concludes in his heart, how arrogant, Jesus. How can you think that you can do our job better? 
Now, there's a transition in this passage. Look at verse 5, Luke 5. Now, contextually, we know Jesus and Peter have hung out now for about nine months. So this isn't round one, this isn't round two. They've spent some time together. He's heard some of the teachings, he's heard some of the preachings, he's seen some of the miracles. Look at what Peter says. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Friends, that's an enormous statement. Why? Because I'm certain Peter still did not think there was any value or wisdom in following Jesus' directive. Yet Peter says, don't miss this, it's a key phrase in this passage, at your word, Lord. At your word, master. I don't know how far the word uh, goes right now in this stage of their journey. Did he recognize Jesus as Lord, truly Lord? Or is this just a sir, master kind of thing? I think he's moving in that direction. But the key phrase is, because you say so at your word, I'm going to follow it even though it doesn't make any sense. So, what do we learn from this? I think there are times when the word of God will come to us and either it does not make sense or we simply do not want to obey it. We say, God, listen, it's too big, it's too hard, it's too much to ask, it's too costly, it does not make sense. I think that's what's going on in Peter's life. Last week, I want to bridge the gap a little bit, we talked about the year of Jubilee, remember that? And I suggested to you that Israel never ever from Leviticus 25 practiced Jubilee. You know why? There's only really one reason. They did not, they could not trust the Lord. Jubilee says this, all debts canceled, all slaves freed, all land returned. I'm going to give back my estate so there's equality in Israel, there's balance, we have blessing for all, but in so doing, I have to trust too. I have to trust the Lord. Israel said, no, it's too big. Never, ever practiced it. Jesus says, I'm coming to install Jubilee forever. So Peter, I get it, doesn't make sense. But you know what also doesn't make sense? You fished all night. Tramble nuts run the, the length of this room. You didn't catch one fish. Have you ever thought about that? Who was behind that action? That's divine providence. They didn't catch any fish so they could stand in awe of God when their nets are bursting full. Let's take a look at the passage. How does God show up? It's beautiful. Look at Luke 5, 6 through 7. So they throw it out, they trust the Lord. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. Again, I did some homework on trammel nets. This is remarkable, folks. Trammel nets don't tear. There's three layers in them. They can haul in a catch. This was a catch beyond the catch. And so what happens? They signal to their partners in the other boats. They come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Talk about fishing. I caught a few browns, a few rainbows, but my boats weren't sinking. They're sinking and they're standing in awe. Something's going on here. And so again, sometimes I would suggest this. Just like Peter, we don't get it. It doesn't make sense. There's more doubt than faith. 
there's more disbelief than trust. But here's the question for each and every one of us here this morning. When we open the book, will we take Genesis to Revelation in total and let God's word speak? Will we say yes and amen, not only to his promises of blessing, but his challenges for sanctification? Guys, in a few weeks, we're going to get into Luke 9 through 19. Consider the cost of following Christ. Consider the cost. He's going to call us to go all in like Israel. Jubilee is all in. They said no. Peter was confused and frustrated, and there was pride stirring in his heart. Initially, he pushed back and said no. Then he says, at your word. I promise you, you open the book, there'll be times where the word of God will be like a mirror, and you'll be looking at it, and you say, oh man, really, me? Yes, me. How are you going to respond? Will you lean in, as James says, and let the mirror of God's word transform you into the glorious image of Christ? God was calling Israel Jubilee to be generous. They said no. The same principles are true today. It is better to give than to receive. Do we say yes? Evangelicals today give less than 3% of their income to kingdom work. Are we saying yes? I don't know where you're at. Can't speak to that. But I can speak to national averages. How sad. There's no Jubilee there. There's no kingdom coming. It's a token. It's what Malachi calls leftovers. It's a tip for God. He goes all in and we give him a tip. Not Peter. I'm struggling. I'm confused. I'm frustrated. Count me in. So where are you at with the word of God today? And folks, I'm looking in the mirror myself. I'm not trying to preach down to anybody. At your word, Lord, count me in. When you come to those harder passages, will we hit, consider the cost, will you say, yes, Lord? When it comes to generosity, time, treasure, talent, touch, yes, Lord? When it comes to serving and you're not comfortable in that service space, yes, Lord? Hopefully, yes and amen. Secondly, and we gotta really move. Quality number two, broken and humble spirit. Look at verses 8 through 10. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus and said, go away from me, why? Because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. So were James, John, Zebedee's son, who were Simon's partners. I believe this, something profound dawns on Peter as he stands in awe of Jesus and the miraculous catch. This was miraculous, not only from the non-catch, but to the catch. Those were two miracles. This is Peter's aha moment as he realizes this is no accident. Only an agent of God could have produced such a catch. And I pause and I stand in awe of him with great soul searching. Peter, full of respect and awe, kneels down before Jesus. And he says humbly, Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Now, please hear me. There's a radical paradigm shift going on in Luke 5 and through the rest of Luke. Here's what the average Jew thought was how God worked. If you're righteous, if you're pious, you could be his friend. If you're living right, you could then serve right. Sinners, (laughs) sinners, <laughs> sorry, second class, 
We don't want any part of you. That's why you're going to see in Luke and the gospel accounts, he's a friend of tax collectors and who? Sinners. Peter, for the first time, understood that God is a God of grace first and that he becomes a friend of sinners second. What Peter is going to learn is that admitting one's shortcoming and sin is the first and necessary prerequisite for service. Peter's honesty, transparency, and confession becomes vital and foundational for his spiritual resume. Humility and brokenness is the elevator to spiritual greatness. Notice verse 10. So what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. Stand in on me, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your sinfulness. Simon, never be fearful of declaring your sinfulness. Only be concerned about declaring your self-righteousness. And that is a radical change in the Gospels. Who are self-righteous? The religious establishment. The scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this sinner, this tax collector. I'm the man. I got a spiritual resume. Who was justified? The guy who was broken over his sin. David learned this. Grievous sins. Murder, adultery. These are grievous sins. Cover up. And yet when Nathan confronts him, Psalm 51, he cries, the sacrifice is pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humble heart. That's where our spiritual resume begins. It begins in brokenness. It begins in honesty and confession. It begins realizing that yes, God is a God of grace and a friend of sinners. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 15 said this, I'm the least of the apostles. Why? I persecuted the church. But then he concluded, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Do you realize that's all our spiritual resumes here this morning? And if we ever think, guess what, boy, my righteousness, boy, I got spiritual credentials, something's going wrong in your faith journey. But when we cry out, like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners, and I am what I am by the grace of God. Guess what? God looks down with favor. He's near the broken heart. Be concerned of self-righteousness, folks. It's what killed the nation of Israel, the average Jew, and it certainly can infect the church. Now, finally, quality number three, reprioritizing life's calling. Look at verses 10 and 11. Don't be afraid. Jesus told Simon, from now on, there's going to be a change in your life. You will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. I'm just going to give you the cliff notes for the remainder of the sermon. We know this for sure. This is the third call. The first introduction to Jesus is found in John chapter 1. You can read about that in Bethsaida. The second call was in Matthew 4, where Jesus said, follow me. This is call number three, about nine months into it, and this is the change. This is the transformation. We went from kind of hanging out with, flirting with Jesus, to now going all in with Jesus. How do we know that? They left everything and followed him. Now, please hear me. Sometimes the fishermen of the ancient world get a bad rap. These were professional people. These were artisans. 
They knew their industry. They were in business. They had partners. They had their own boats. You saw the beautiful ones. They had a great livelihood. They left everything, their livelihood, to follow Jesus. Don't give the fishermen a bad rap. So, two things we conclude. Number one, we need to reprioritize the gospel in our life. I believe this with all my heart. The scriptures are very clear. Not everybody's called to full-time vocational ministry. We, we could develop that case pretty easy. But you know what the Bible is very clear on? We are all called to fish for people. Would you agree? Luke's going to develop that theme. Acts 1.8 is a promise. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be by witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Guess what happens here? Not only does Peter go all in, the disciples go all in too. It goes from you to they. This is a team effort. The second reprioritization is this. Reprioritize generosity. Look at verse 11. Then they brought the boats to land. They left everything and followed him. This I could absolutely be certain of from Scripture. God calls each and every one of us to be generous for his kingdom. Time, treasure, talent, and touch. It is better to give than to receive. One of my favorite stories, some of you know, Ellen and I have a partnership in India that we are privileged to uh, engage at least once a year. Thankful for the leadership who's empowered us for that. But we began a nonprofit a number of years ago called Global Focus Partners. We don't really reach out much and, and talk about it, but one story came to mind as I was preparing for this. We had some friends hear about our partnership in India, uh, some friends hear about the uh, nonprofit we had and engaged us. We didn't engage them. And here's what the gentleman said to me. He's, his name is Roger. He says, Keith, we don't feel called to going overseas, but here's what we absolutely feel called to, participating in the harvest seeing the kingdom come. We want to be generous. And I'm paraphrasing what he said to me. He said this, as long as you and Alan are going overseas, doing mission work, count us in as missionary partners. We're going to pray for you and we're going to give. There's a direct deposit that goes into Global Focus every month through this dear family. They initiated, not me, I didn't ask, I didn't talk about it. They knew about it, they initiated. That's the generosity of the kingdom. Have you heard of Laterno? Do you know that name? Ellen and I were uh, blessed through the ministry of R.G. Laterno. He was a professional engineer, a machine builder. He's got over 200 patents, very wealthy man. You know what he decided to do at a point in time in his career? He says, I'm not going overseas. I'm called here as a businessman. Over 200 patents, God blessed him with brilliance, and he made a ton of money. He gave 90% of his resources to the kingdom one. It's called reverse tithing. And I've heard story after story about generous people who make money in creative spaces who are so gifted say, you know what? Let's just give this money to the kingdom. Let's see it happen. They left everything, yeah. They went full-time. Peter became a martyr for the gospel. Not everyone is called to that, but everyone's called to fish for people and to be generous with time, treasure, talent, touch. How about you? We're landing on this. Fruitful fishing. Are you broken over your sin? It's a prerequisite. 
Are you are what you are by the grace of God? That's a prerequisite. Starts there. Are you teachable right now, today? Are your ears open, your hearts responding to God's word? Or is it blah, 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 I hope it's done. Can't wait for lunch. Is there a teachable spirit? Are we willing today to sit down with our spouses and families and talk about reprioritizing the gospel? Honey, where's our resources going? We make a lot of money. What can we do better for the kingdom? Are we willing to do that? Who are we reaching out to? Who are we praying for? Who are we inviting? Last Sunday, met a gentleman in our church, came for the first time. We got talking, and I could see there was hurt. I had an alpha card. I said, hey, would you please just come tonight? Just come. Give us a try. He came. He's coming back tonight. We're so thankful for that. That's all it takes is an invite and prayer. And let God show up. I promise you, if we all do our part, the kingdom will come. The nets will be filled to overflowing. Wouldn't it be great? West Wind Church sinking boats. Lord, caught too much fish. Our boats are sinking. We're, we're good. I don't know how God's speaking to you, but I hope he is. Because these things really, really matter for eternity and today. Let's stand. Let's worship. I think three things for each and every one of us, starting with me. At your word, Lord, will we submit to the whole counsel of God? That's a big question. When you do, wow, there's great blessing. Secondly, we're sinners. Do you embrace, do we embrace that we are what we are by the grace of God? That's it. To God be the glory, folks. Run from self-righteousness. And third, that we all have the privilege to fish for people. We're all on mission with and for God. Reprioritizing the good news, generosity. Pray with me, please. Father, these are big truths. And I pray by your spirit, your word, your strength, you'd help us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name.